Welcome to Park City Church. You're listening to our weekly message, where we hope you'll be inspired and encouraged to know and follow Jesus and welcome and serve others. Thank you for tuning in. Good morning, everyone. Our reading this morning is Acts 2, 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I want to ask you to have a brief conversation with a neighbor. Uh, your favorite surprise ending, all right? Movie, book, you name it. Your favorite or most memorable surprise ending. Take like 30 seconds and go for it. So uh, we're going to step into this passage. We read the end of chapter 2. Uh, we spent the last couple of weeks in Acts 1. And uh, we, we, I just want to remind you of the premise that, that we are sort of operating with, particularly as we pick up Acts chapter 2. And that is that a lot of times we read the book of Acts, and it's incredible, right? Like you got Saul, and uh, it becomes Paul, and Peter. You got all these incredible moments. Philip sort of preaching, and uh, all these incredible things happening. And we think it's a story, and, you know, it's in the title, The Acts of the Apostles. It's a story about what people are doing for God. But you just I want to remind you, we're holding the premise that, that really this is a story about what God is doing for people. All right, this is a book about God's actions on behalf of and toward humanity more than it is a book about sort of these are the things we can do. And, and I want to suggest that we, we, we hear what Andrew read for us this morning in that way as well. Particularly, right, so it, this beautiful passage, it's a, it's a picture of the church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, communion. They were in awe. Signs and wonders were happening. Like everyone believed together. There's, there's unity. There's this beautiful sort of sense of community. They had everything in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and, and, and meeting one another's needs, generous hearts, praising God. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And we think, oh, my goodness, yes right? This is what, I'll tell you, I'm the, as the pastor here, yes, God, please do that here. This is the kind of community we want to be, your church. But I, I, I read this, and I think sometimes, I mean, again, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful picture of the corporate church, and, and I want to read a passage like this, and I'm like, okay, what are the four principles in here I can discern that we can employ as a church to make sure we do this thing right, you, you, you feel me there? You sort of, you can feel that pull. I'm like, all right, all right. If we, let me, let me see here. All right, communion is there, worship. We do these. These are the qualities of a church. We should pursue them. Let's make them happen. And by all means, I think that is probably true and commendable. But I, I want to suggest to you this morning that we land in this passage as a kind of surprise ending. This wasn't something that was sort of planned for and manufactured. This, this, is, a, this is where this, uh, we read it as the birth of the church, but I want to suggest that it's kind of, this is where the story of Jesus ends. It's where it takes us. When, when he is at work in hearts and lives, this is the surprise ending that happens. So to, to get there with that premise, I want to take us back to the start of the chapter 
I'm going to preach 47 verses in like 45 minutes, okay? Uh, if, if you're new here, you're like, oh my goodness, right? Online, it was only like an hour. We cut a bunch out before we post it, so, uh, oh, okay, oh, so, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, so, uh, I just want to go to where we start. We start where we finished last week and the week before. The disciples are waiting. Jesus' last words to the disciples, wait, wait, wait. Right, and, and last week we saw that maybe they were antsy. Peter's like, oh, what do we do about Judas, right? Waiting is hard and weird. Let's, let's replace the uh, betrayer, right? And so that was where we landed last week. And we're still in that posture of waiting this morning. And the story uh, in chapter two begins with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, an incredible and generous gift. God gives his spirit to his disciples. And it's a moment that's resonant with, with old themes and stories. Even as we sung this morning, the same God, even as Stephanie reminded us, Jesus picking up the Isaiah scroll, old stories are resonant on the pages of this moment in Acts chapter 2. It's, it's, a, it's a season. We're told that it's the season of Pentecost. The, the Jews from all over were in the city to celebrate, and uh, they're there to celebrate the festivities that over time had come to commemorate God giving the law at Mount Sinai in the Old Testament. This beautiful moment where God would give his law to his people and would form them and make them a people. Uh, this moment, as God gives his spirit to this just assortment of people forming a community resonant with a, with a much older story. We're also told in this moment, uh, we didn't read it, but it says that in the moment a sound like a rushing wind came in in verse 2, and tongues of fire appeared over them and rested on each of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance, and that all who were present, as we'll see in a moment, began to hear uh, the message they were saying in their own uh, language. But these images of winded fire are not arbitrary. It's a story rooted in something much older. The wind, you, you could go back. We were in Genesis earlier in the year. Hit God's spirit brooding over the waters, breathing in a sense over the chaos and, and, and creating life. You, you, you could go to a moment later in the Old Testament. So all the way through the Old Testament story, we're coming now closer to the end of the Old Testament. And Ezekiel has a vision. Israel is hurting and broken and lost and wayward. And, and he has this vision of a valley full of dry bones. And God breathes his wind on them. And they, they are brought back to life. Images resonant in this moment in Acts 2. And then fire. And what so many places we could go. Fire is so often associated with the refining presence of God that judges us, that changes us, that burns away chaff and, 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 and uh, what is broken. The fire that, that cleanses. Fire like Moses would have experienced at the burning bush that would consume, but would burn the bush but not consume it. The sign of God's presence here. Now in this moment, God gives his spirit fire that somehow rests but doesn't destroy God's judgment present but still in this moment he's breathing uh, life doesn't consume them but is a mark of God's presence with them that had before had before had been sort of uh, uh, confined to the temple now resting God's presence resting in and with his disciples it's an incredible gift and there's a lot here for us to consider and talk about but I just want us to hold this moment as we move through the story and think about where the surprise ending takes us. An incredible gift. Naturally, 
uh, in response to this moment, this is sort of an amazed and astonished crowd reacts. Does anybody remember their reaction to put you guys on the spot when they hear this happening? Does anybody remember what they say? Yeah, they're like, are these guys drunk, right? And I love Peter's response. He's like, no, it's 9 a.m. Nobody's drunk at 9 a.m. Come back later, maybe, right? Like, that's, that's how it sounds to me. He's like, not yet, but maybe, maybe later? I, I don't know, right? Like, like, Peter is like, no, no, no. And, and, and so this, this astonished crowd, but it's, it's, not, it's an intentional moment. Scholars have pointed to this moment, echoes of Babel, where God confused languages and separated people. And now here, through the many languages, they hear one message and God restoring people, uh, bringing uh, life. It's, it's an intentional moment as Jews from all over. And in, and in Acts chapter 2, he'll delineate, he'll give us, we won't spend time here, but a geographical breakdown of the regions from which they're from that have Old Testament resonance uh, from stories of exile. And now here they are hearing the message of, of God. It's a beautiful m- moment and, and one that demands a response. God gives his gift to his disciples and his spirit overflows and, and, and people hear it and, and are intrigued and they listen, they stop to, to consider what's happening. And in this moment, right, so an, an incredible gift and, and a, an astonished crowd and, and, and in this moment, a, a powerful preacher stands up. You guys remember who that preacher was or is? Peter. You guys remember Peter, right? You remember Peter. You know, we point this out all the time. Peter the denier, he was fishing, right? He, had, he was done. Jesus was dead, right? Whatever he thought was going to happen had not gone according to plan. And he's like, well, you know, like the rest of us, I, what, what, what do I do with this? And well, then, then he's, well, they bring him back. He sees the resurrected Jesus. And now they're in community together. And Jesus says, wait. And Peter's like, I don't know. Let's replace Judas, right? Like what Peter, we, 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 we let's the elephant in the room. Like we, we love Peter. Because he's like us. He's all over the map, right? He, he's, he's all over the map. He's up and he's down. It's beautiful and frustrating and miraculous all at the same time. That Peter stands up in this moment, lifts his voice, standing with the 11, he's not alone, and says to everyone listening, <laughs> men of Judah, what you're seeing here, this is that Right, this is, and he points back again to a much older story. He quotes Joel. He says, Joel told us this moment was coming when God's spirit would, would overflow the confines of how we have known it, and men and women would prophesy, and, and, and generation upon generation would experience the presence of God in and, and with them. He takes them, he reminds them that this is a moment about the action of God in the world. God was active then. And he's active now, here, here. But, but he, does, he does something really interesting. So he explains that moment, and then he preaches uh, his first sermon. It's a space of scripture that's always intrigued me. Of all the things he could have said, right, I'm gonna, we're not going to read it. I'm going to summarize it. But of all the things he could have said, he lands on two sort of major themes. He, 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 the first one, the central one, is Jesus. He tells them, Jesus, this Jesus whom you crucified is Lord Christ. So he tells them, firstly, that you were wrong about Jesus. You were wrong about Jesus. 
But, but then he, with that knowledge, and we'll consider the language in a moment, then he makes a turn, and, and within that declaration, he says, you were also wrong about you. He said, this Jesus whom you crucified. Not that they were there or present, these folks from all over, not that they were the ones who sort of participated, but they were caught up in the story of the sinfulness of man and, and consequently a part of this moment. Whom you crucified, you, you were wrong about Jesus, but you've also been wrong about you. And he holds up Jesus, this man, he says, beautifully so, for whom the pangs of death could not even contain him. God has raised him and made him, this Jesus, Lord and Christ, whom you crucified. So to clarify, he's telling them, the man they saw executed for sedition, publicly shamed, dead, this one that the world has written off uh, as a criminal. Peter says, this is the one God has identified as Lord and Christ has confirmed through his resurrection as Lord and Christ. I was reading recently uh, the work of a New Testament scholar. His name is Todd Brewer. And it, it, interestingly, sort of a back door in, he talks about the preaching of the early church. Right? Those first preachers. We don't have a lot of their sermons. We got their letters and stuff. But he says it's interesting what they focus on and don't focus on. Right? That, that uh, on the other side of Jesus' grave, he says, and I'll paraphrase here, the disciples who had abandoned him, who had cut and run, you know, which I would have done, right? Like perfectly human responses. That on the other side of the resurrection, so they see Jesus, they experience him. Now they've, his spirit is at work in their lives. That then what, what forms the content of what they will share with us, with their hearers in their day, is interestingly not the teachings of Jesus. Like Peter didn't stand up on this day and say, I'm so glad you're all here. Let me remind you of the Sermon on the Mount, right? Remember what Jesus said. It's important. We, we, I'm not devaluing this, this Sermon on the Mount to clarify, but Brewer, uh, Todd Brewer points out, he's like, you know, interestingly, there's a, he, a decrescendo uh, of, of, of near to near silence on the, on the content of Jesus' teaching, which he says is interesting because Jesus, this preacher from Nazareth, people said he taught like no one else with authority like no one had ever expressed. He, he had a memorable turn of phrase. He was quick-witted. There was a profundity, Brewer writes, to what he said that was wisdom and depth, brilliance in how he communicated and the way he told stories and drew people in. Brewer says, interestingly, the apostles didn't do any of those things. They didn't preach like Jesus. They talked about him that he had been crucified and God had raised him from the dead. The, the difference in their community wasn't that they talked like Jesus or preached like Jesus. They reminded everyone that they would, that, that, that would listen. Jesus was crucified but has been raised from the dead. And this makes all the difference. They, 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 they didn't base their ministry or their sermons on the stories of Jesus' life. What became the basis of their preaching and their message wasn't just a repetition of the wisdom of Jesus, and it is wise and good and has served the world countlessly good ways, but it was the good news of his death and resurrection that even the pangs of death could not contain him. Even the pangs of death. Hot. I think it's an interesting observation that what Peter announces in this moment 
as the Holy Spirit rests on them and is poured out on God's people, forming them, making them new, breathing his presence into them, he stands up and announces to all who are present, God has raised this Jesus up whom you have crucified, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Let all the house of Israel know, therefore, for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you have crucified. You were wrong about Jesus, and you're wrong about yourselves. You're a sinner, broken, sometimes selfish and arrogant, sometimes weak. You're a sinner, but Jesus is Lord and Christ. You feel the pangs of death in your own life. You think this is the final word. You're wrong about yourself. This is Jesus, Lord and Christ. I, I was, if you'll uh, indulge me for just a moment, um, the Southern, he's a Southern writer. His name is uh, Har Harrison Scott Key. And uh, I've read some of his older stuff, but he's got a new book out, a humorist. He writes humorously about his life. And uh, he, he, in his most recent book, it's called How to Stay Married. And he tells the story of the sort of tragic rupture of his marriage and sort of uh, the, the, how it um, goes forward from there. And I'll leave you to sort of find his story or read it if you want. But one of his points, again, humorously told, at times poignant, but also funny, which feels wrong to laugh out loud at times. But uh, in, in, the, uh, in the telling of his story, one of his observations is he says, you know, here's how, you get it, here's how to stay married. And one of his points is like, uh, you have to look into a Walmart mirror. I, I think, Stephanie, you used the language of mirror earlier. He says, you got to look into a Walmart mirror. He's like, I don't mean the kind that's like, I don't know where you would find them, but fancy places or hotel with the warm glow of the light. It hides the blemishes. It doesn't really. He's like, I'm, I'm talking about the kind of light, like at Walmart. It's all fluorescent. There's like no secrets here. You see yourself in all of your, you know, whatever, right? Blemishes and all. He says, this is the kind of mirror you need in marriage. And uh, I, I wonder, does Paul draw us into that? You were wrong about Jesus and you've been wrong about yourself. You're a sinner. And so the call Peter gives, they're like, what do we do? Repent. Confess and trust Jesus, whom death could not hold, is Lord in Christ. And, and it's out of this announcement, all right? It's, it's from this announcement that we get the surprise ending of what Andrew read for us this morning. Miraculously, this incredible community begins to form around this truth, this confession, this acknowledgement that God has acted on behalf of the world, and he's done it definitively in Jesus Christ. That because of Jesus, dead but raised to life, Lord in Christ, the gift of his spirit, his presence with us, things are changed, a new community is formed, reformed, it's, it's a surprise ending, if you will, to this incredible announcement that Jesus Christ has come to save sinners and his death and resurrection confirmed that he is Lord and Christ. I got to be honest with you. I want this kind of church. I want God's spirit to be active in us. 
right? I, I, want his, I want his activity present in your life currently, not just like a set of old beliefs you believe, not like, I, I know sometimes it can, that can be a challenging space because, you, you know, what does it mean? But, but, but I, I, I want a church where the Pentecostal power of God's spirit, his presence with us is alive in your life, at work, where, where you, you, your vision, because of the work of the Spirit, is, is keyed in on what Jesus Christ is doing and what his role as Lord and Christ might mean in all the spaces in which you live. I, I'll be honest, I want to preach like Peter so that at one word from this mic, 3,000 people, right? Like that, That's what the passage said. 3,000 were added. That wasn't a random number, but... Uh, you're like, man, he's got great ambitions. As he looked around, it's like an O'Reilly's next door, right? Uh, I, I, I want all those things. I want, to, I want the principles that will help us get there. But I'm reminded in the story of Pentecost, the, this moment, this surprise ending, the birth of the church, that all of that comes because of what God does and has done in Jesus. I, uh, at the recommendation of Andrew, have been reading, a, sorry to put you on the spot if it's bad now, everyone's coming for you, right? Sorry, Andrew, that was a hard point. I, I, I'm going to dial that back a little bit. I'm, Jess will tell me about that later. But uh, A book called Theft of Sorts, right? You know, it's like elves and, and, and all this kind of thing. This is a really random connection. So a non sequitur is the word, but we're there, so we're just going to go for it. But there's a scene in which uh, there's like a, a master swordsman and he's like teaching a farmer how to like wield his sword. And they're, it's kind of, kind of technical. It's like, okay, okay, come on, come on, tell me what happens, right? Which got me thinking, that was just a random way for me to say this other thing I want to say. Um, I, I, not too long ago, in the last year or two, I had the chance, with, it was with a group of people, kind of a, I don't know, like a staff day or whatever, and we got to, uh, um, I got to take a fencing lesson. Anybody ever been fencing? I've never been fencing right? Uh, except for this one time, and probably the last time. I got to wear the mask and the suit. It was so hot. Like, uh, I, I, I thought, oh yeah, I'm like, I was pretty arrogant because I'm like, I'm tall and long. I, I got this in the bag, right? Like, you'd have to face off with someone. I'm like, they don't stand a chance. Like, my wingspan is whatever. And, uh, but it was hot, and I wasn't very good, <laughs> right? Like, I kept losing, you know, you're like in and out, and you step in, you know, they, they tried to teach us, and it was all sorts of technicality, like jab and parry, and those are the only two words I know, so that's all I'll say, but uh, all of this kind of thing, it was the same thing in Theft of Swords, or all this technicality, you had to, you read your, you know, you know when to move, deflect, when to, and uh, it occurred to me, it, it occurred to me, you know, sitting with you, like, what is going on with this guy, somebody help him, but um, in Acts 2, I was like, man, sometimes that's our relationship to faith. If it feels, we're in like a fencing match with Jesus, right? We want it to make sense, but we like to retain control. And there's a little bit of like, I can parry this or I'll keep that, a little jab here. And it's this kind of thing that we like, you know, we, we manage. Sometimes it's contentious. We have doubts and we struggle and we feel like we're kind of back and forth. Like, I want to believe this. I think I got it. And then we're back here and, and we're, you know, we're shifting our weight and we're back and forth. I think sometimes like that is, that is an accurate picture of the story of faith. Sort of in this tension. I think it's worth noting that when the Holy Spirit shows up in Acts 2, Peter reminds all who will listen, this is a story about Jesus whom you crucified, whom God has raised from the dead and made Lord and Christ. When, when Peter makes that announcement, Acts tells us that they were cut to the heart. See, we, we think we're sort of like 
fencing with Jesus, but the invitation is a kind of open heart surgery that just relinquishes control, puts the sword down, takes off the masks, and says, I'm a sinner. And what I need is Lord and Christ. I need the one for whom even the pangs of death were no match to breathe a word of life in me. Set me free from the deceptions I carry of myself and help me see him for who he is. I need him to help me see myself and my sin-sick heart. Clearly, what we hear in the gospel is a deep cut. Maybe you're a long way from that. Maybe it's been a while since you have felt the exposure. Maybe you have been sort of keeping in that distance. Today, the invitation to all of us is to rest in this good news. In your brokenness, painfully aware of the pangs of death in your life, to hear the announcement, Jesus who was crucified is Lord and Christ even there. In, in, in your addiction, in your inability to, to get control, to hear in that space a clear picture of who you are and who he is, Jesus who was crucified is Lord and Christ. In your selfishness, in your arrogance, in your self-righteousness, in your even in your devoutness to hear the invitation of the gospel, Jesus who was crucified is Lord and Christ. I think most of the time I, I when I read a story like this, I identify with the Jews in Jerusalem. It says they were devout. They were devoutly going about uh, their faith. I want where the story lands, this beautiful, generous expression of life together, but I'm generally just sort of like devoutly going about life. I'm just in town for the festivities. <laughs> right? Maybe you are too. Here on a Sunday morning, you're just kind of in town for the festivities. What I need, what you need, what we need is to hear, to hear it. The same way that first community heard it, it wasn't a set of instructions on how to be the church. It's not to hear, here's how you can be a better person, be more devout. What we need is what those folks needed. We need the action of God directed toward us. Jesus, you crucified as Lord and Christ. Thank you for listening to the Park City Church Podcast. To learn more about our church and or to find ways to get involved in our community, visit us at parkcitykc.com or follow us on social media at parkcitykc.com.